Good morning. Is my microphone on? Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, Faith. Good morning, Raspberry Mojito Girl. It's coffee morning. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's sunny in London. I thought we were having, I thought it was going to rain all weekend. It's just been, I thought we were sort of going to be in a deluge. How is everyone? Friday morning. Hashtag Friday. Hashtag Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. It's Friday. Um, one day closer to Crimbo, guys. Oh, my Lord. And you may be wondering why I'm facing around this way now. You may well be wondering. Because, of course, even though the curly Grinches of Croydon are seeking to make Christmas all their own, we are not allowing it to happen, are we? I did a family guests members live last night. A number of you won some cards. I've got the card at hand. There's the card. I've got. Let me just get this for you. Uh, I haven't got to left you. If you're listening on 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 uh, what's it called podcast, then uh, I just walked over there. Yeah, uh, you could win one of. I'm just going to show it quickly. Those. There you go. Um, some of those will be going out to those winners last night. Missed the family live last night. Sarah Witherington, you missed out on such great fun. Sort of cozying down in the middle of a dark alley in southeast London, uh, wondering whether at any point I was going to be carjacked. It was cracking. Uh, hi, Alice Kearney. Welcome back. Curly Grinches of Croydon. That's it. Curly Grinches of Croydon. If you're watching, Dina, I'm watching you. I'm watching you. Prepare. Fat. Talking of which. Hmm. Curious. Toffee seems to have left her kind of sentry post. Um, anyway, how are we all? Are we all good? It's a busy, busy weekend incoming. Uh, Glenda the good bitch. Uh, you'll have to watch Vlogmas to find out if it went up and ended okay. I, I think the chalet is going to be all right. But if you watch last night's Vlogmas, I don't think the house will be. Hilary Daly, I was. <laughs> I was. My partner would be crazy if I stapled the chalet to the wall. I think Dina just had a few tequilas and just went for it. And Nadia just didn't care. Um, off to see Wonka, Sarah. I'm so trying desperately to find two hours this weekend where I can get out and see that. It'd be a nice one to, it feels like it'd be festive. It'd be a nice review to do. But my God, it's uh, it's tight. Um, Rachel Gadd, good morning. Happy Christmas to all. And thank you for all you do. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, so I've got a few clips to show you later today. Um, what are we talking about? Uh, Philip Schofield dodges inquiry. Uh, the ITV inquiry had, fact, did its, uh, revealed its findings on the Toxic Culture Act this morning. Um, Keir Starmer was confronted on a train to Scotland by a uh, pro-Palestinian protester. We're going to be talking about that. Um, has anyone heard of Baldur's Gate? It's won the Gaming Award. I just The reason I popped that in the title was... Gaming is such a huge part of YouTube, gamers and gaming. Um, I used to, I would have been hooked like a nut job into this stuff once upon a time. Um, but sometimes I just think, you know what, sometimes playing a computer game could be, for some people, their mindfulness. Um, we're going to be mentioning briefly uh, or remembering um, Benjamin Zephaniah, uh, the uh, poet, actor, writer, uh, who tragically passed away this week. Um, 
And yeah, brief update on, of course, the Israel uh, Israel Gaza crisis, which will kind of intercept because we're talking about Keir Starmer being uh, called out, if you like, on the way on the way to Scotland. Um, um, so she's on loose today, Hanny. She does she does loose on Fridays. So guys, this morning, the this morning toxic culture. So this is the report. Obviously, this this is all spiraled out of the or, or spilt out of the uh, controversy. Was there a controversy? Was it all too much hysteria? Was what, what you know? Did everyone lose their shit too much? What, were we right to be annoyed? Um, all that kind of stuff. Um, this is the inquiry into whether at ITV, or certainly specifically on a programme this morning, whether the work environment was one in which toxicity existed. It allowed um, Philip Schofield to have an ex- potentially, allegedly, you could argue, um, sort of power-balanced, exploitative uh, relationship. Were people too afraid to say anything? All this kind of stuff. Um, now, when this report landed yesterday, it made me chuckle because nothing about it surprised me in the slightest. Well, of course, if, you know, the broadcaster were going to pull in uh, a set of investigators who have defended the broadcaster in the past, it's not particularly about ITV, but it's, you know, then I had no belief this was going to turn up anything else. But going back to this idea that we've talked about in the past, this idea that, you know, when sometimes people say, I'm not suggesting there is a cover-up, by the way, but what I'm saying is it's interesting that the headlines that are running around are these, um, that um, this morning staff feared for jobs if they spoke out over Philip Schofield's affair. And then and then it, it's almost like in the headlines or in the statement that people were fearful to talk out about things. And then the, and then the report says no one knew anything, uh, only one person potentially knew something, um, and then, and then to say everyone was too scared to talk out, and then no one's talked out because there's nothing to say, makes you wonder whether they're still too scared to talk out. It felt like embedded within how the inquiry said there's no news here. It felt like there was news here. It, 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 didn't you feel it was odd? I, I just feel it's odd. I just feel I feel it's strange. <laughs> you know. People were too scared to say anything, and that needs to change. But no one said anything, so there was nothing that happened. But how do we know that they didn't say anything because they're still too scared to say anything? Do you know what I mean? Oh, Lizzie Russell, the culture around the Philip Schofield thing is really worrying for not only what's still there to say, but also other industries with potentially the same cultures. Exactly. This is this is what this is one of the issues, isn't it? You've always my thing on it is is when you've got the police investigating the police, or if you've got a set of lawyers who've worked for a broadcaster investigating the same broadcasters, or if you've got people in their own business, you've got to get someone else in, get an independent inquiry in to do it. Um, but then if it's based upon what people are saying and there is a culture in most industries of people worried about the implications for their job, then how do you know that's not enacting or happening in the process of the inquiry? How can you say people are afraid to talk and then in the and then not think that that might bear have some bearing on what's been said to you? Anyway, but anyway, what, the interesting detail in all of it was that Philip Schofield himself declined to take part in the review uh, because of a risk to health. Um, this is the idea that he's in such a bad place that he was uh, he reluctantly declined um, 
Uh, and of course, let's not forget, he, he admitted to what he described as an unwise but not illegal relationship. Um, Jane Mulcahy, KC, said of 48 people interviewed, um, only one of uh, only one reported any knowledge of the affair, a former junior member of staff. Um, she said many employees remain convinced that to speak out. Now, this is the point. So she said many junior employees remain convinced that to speak out will have a detrimental impact on their careers. I don't see how you can say that as a finding of an inquiry and not think that that may have informed what information you were given. Capture that grade. There was a phrase in the report that says even the main talent should follow the rules. Surely the main, including the main talent, not even. Good point. Good point. Good point. Good point. There's also talk at the same time that um, Holly Willoughby might be might be going back to uh, that vital show, Dancing on Ice, um, or Dancing on Knives. Um, uh, Lizzie Russell, understandably hard for him, but can you imagine how the young man feels who has this on him for the rest of his career and others involved? She does talk in the report about how, whilst Philip Schofield certainly was there in a sort of, you know, assisting role at the beginning of this runner's uh, arrival at ITV, that the runner in question very much moved up the rungs of their own accord. Um, I suppose all I feel about all of this is, I'm not. it, it just feels like management speak having spoken to managers who've given management speak. So there you go. That's what I think. Um, who see, right, I'm going to show you a clip now, and I want you to tell me what you think of this. This was, where is this? This was yesterday on a train heading up to, um, heading up to, Glas I think Glasgow, but certainly for a, a fundraising event for the Labour Party. How many more children in Palestine have to die before you call for a ceasefire? Over 7,000 children have died. Over 7,000 children have been slaughtered by Israel. This is unacceptable. What happened to human rights? What happened to democracy? We call for peace, we call for democracy. We don't see any of that when it comes to the Palestinians. 7,000 children, how many more have to die? 20,000 people, how many more people have to die? This is unacceptable. Where is your human humanity? Sir, Where is your humanity? Please don't touch me. Please do not touch me. I'm not doing anything wrong. Okay, I'm not doing anything wrong. This is a... I paid for a ticket. I'm on the train. I think we get the idea. So the chap on the train, um, I've seen a longer, I've seen a longer clip of the chap on the train who continues to kind of remonstrate with Keir Starmer as he comes off the train and onto the platform. <sighs> it's a tricky one, this, isn't it? Because I can see how, and we can all see how, you know, obviously getting off the train there, a couple of basically a couple of arrests have been made. Um, arrests after Keir Starmer confronted by pro-Palestinian activists in Glasgow. Um, he was met with shouts, as you heard, of you're facilitating Israel's genocide in Gaza, you should be in prison, etc. I think 
you know, I think what this speaks to, I a couple of things here. Um, it must be incredibly worrisome if you get off a train and you're surrounded by crowds like that. Now, I think it's pretty, I'm, well, I'll tell you what I was surprised by, before we get onto the Palestinian thing. I was surprised by the fact that he didn't have a, a sort of stronger security. I mean, he's got security there, but I was amazed that he was a sort of, in a sense, vulnerable as he is, because it's quite clear from all the polls, regardless of what we think of his current policy on Palestine, that he's going to be the next prime minister, or certainly Labour are going to be the next government. So you're very much looking there at the leader of the country. And so I was struck, if I'm honest, forgetting his political persuasion, forgetting his political policies, by how vulnerable uh, he appeared. It's <laughs> a very good point. He's still safer than those in Palestine, absolutely. Um, and I think this, but I think this speaks to something or a number of things that are very important. And and it raises and, and the guy who remonstrates with him on the on the on the train mentions a couple of really important things. Aaron Bullimor saying Keir should be in prison as extreme. He's not responsible for the situation in Gaza or how we respond to it, but not surprised at the pro protest. Keir sticks to the middle. Well, I think he's partly responsible for the continue, for the for the lack of any in, increase. Here's the facts of the matter. If the UK and the US were to put, exert more pressure on Israel, to, 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 do a, to, to conduct a ceasefire or start a ceasefire. There's no two ways about it. Benjamin Netanyahu would not observe that. But at the very least, uh, the US and the UK would be sat alongside, as we've talked many times before, approximately 120 to 140 other countries in the world that also believe a ceasefire is what's required here. Um, again, I think we I think we've kind of come out of this era of thinking to call for a ceasefire is to somehow say you support Hamas because I just I just I, I don't even understand that comprehension. It's such a fallacy and such a uh, passive aggressive way to silence criticism over a strategic policy of a country that has gone too far. I mean, there's no two ways about it. It's like for all of the you know we're getting to a point now that um, you know. You know, God forbid the atrocities of October the 7th had continued for another day and another day. We see, we've seen the, an appropriate outrage, absolutely appropriate outrage at what happened on October the 7th. But, we're not, but, but if that was to have continued day after day after day after day, as it has done in reverse for Palestine, it's just quite remarkable that there's no comparison between the situation for the innocents involved, for the innocents involved. The thing that the guy also says to him on the train is, Demo Dem you know, our democratic right, I think this speaks to a frustration that our system allows no, in a sense, dialogue with the, with the, excuse me, with the policymakers of this country. Excuse me, sorry. You know, the system we have allows for no dialogue. There's this sort of, saying we live in a democracy, we have zero capacity to express our opinion, because as the marches have proved, no one listens. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what huge swathes of people think. It just, thank you, bless you. It does. It seems to not matter. And so I think, you know, he, I think the guy on the train was much, much more polite, lit, politer, but firmer. Um, I think it did get out of hand on the platform. Um, but there is literally, you know, so this idea, so this kind of, uh, this this move around all sorts of things. I mean, you know, we've been very critical of Just Stop Oil's tactics, not the, not the idea. The idea of Just Stop Oil was brilliant, but the, the you know, attacking paintings, I don't get it. Uh, stopping people going about their ordinary lives, don't get it. Go for big business, absolutely. 
Um, but I just sometimes think that we are, if you feel something strongly and you feel that a wrong is being done, and it's easy for the majority of the Daily Mail readers for whom the status quo serves them and, you know, being a sort of, and I'm being kind of stereotypical here, but being a sort of, you know, relatively, I don't know, middle class, you know, middle England paper, you know, most things in life kind of come quite easily to the Daily Mail readers. It's easy to say, well, you know, we should stop these people protesting. But for, but for people who don't feel they've got a voice, what can you do? What can you do? Which then nudges us. If we can feel that on a small scale in this country, uh, to the point, welcome to my gay world, Tez, absolutely. So many minorities and, uh, you know, cultural groups that just feel maligned, marginalized and have no voice. So if we're feeling that a bit here, and we we have to go to the lengths of, I don't know, accosting the leader of the opposition on a train in order to make our voice heard. Take that and then times it by a gazillion, a gazillion, to then try and understand what the Palestinians are feeling. Because this terrible conflation has happened now that what we're saying is, is that because the Gazans rightly or wrongly in the world you know we don't agree with the we don't agree with most people don't agree with netanyahu most israelis don't agree with netanyahu but he's their leader somehow most people in america or a lot of people in america didn't agree with trump but he was the president biden a lot of people don't agree with him he's the president you know it doesn't mean you just go oh well you decided that you you support them therefore you can't you know whether we like it or not for whatever reasons, people in Gaza voted for, okay, an, a, a political group at the time that has a, um, let's, you know, is, is defined as a terrorist group in the rest of the world. And I think this is a real, really, really problematic because what we're kind of saying is um, democracy is democracy if we agree with it. Rather, now, the preference would be for Gaza not Gazans to have not voted for Hamas that has uh, the potential to do what they did on October the 7th and, and has uh, terrorist ambitions um, or a terrorist aspect to it. If we prefer them not to vote that way, we have to change the conditions in which they exist. I don't understand how this is not obviously apparent. People turn to the strongest protesting voice if they feel they have no oxygen to say anything. And that, so what I think is interesting about this is the frustration of people needing to reach someone like Starmer, who, and I have to accept, I have to agree as a Labour voter, I'm staggered that Starmer basically had a three-line whip threatening to fire people on the front, on the shadow bench if they call for a ceasefire. I, I can't believe it that you couldn't just call for a ceasefire and then negotiate from there to a place that meant it, it, you know, ensuring it doesn't mean a repeat of October the 7th. At what point will we all say enough is enough? Two months in return for what's happened awfully on October the 7th. At what point do we go, all right, let's stop? Or do we just wait for Netanyahu to stop? And then everyone goes, breathes a sigh of relief, sort of goes a bit quiet and awkward at a party, says nothing to anyone, avoids the volivons as they're passed around, and then just hopes that we can push on and go, oh, well, there we go, stop, that's good. There's this sense, you're absolutely right, Grace and Martin, if you disagree these days that you are somehow wrong, you are not, this idea that we live in a democracy is, is, is remarkable. And, and, and as I say, we might not like the democracy that they've chosen, but we need to understand where it's come from.
How how ununderstandable is that? I don't understand. I, I, I literally don't understand. So so you know, a continued bombardment of a population with notes being dropped, telling them all to basically go to Rafa, which is basically saying let's get let's put an entire population up against a uh, a, a fence in a playground, force them up against the edge, flood the tunnels, bomb the rest of Gaza Strip. And not, and somehow then expect when you stop doing this for them all to go. Oh, all right, yeah. Let's all just sit down and try and make our unarable land produce food for our families, and let's try and not be able to rebuild our buildings with structural support that's not allowed into the country, and let's try and clean our water supply that we have no control over because it's controlled by taps in Israel, and let's try and make sure that we have comms and internet and phones, which we can't because they're being turned off or knocked out. This is, this is no way to defeat Hamas. This is blindingly obvious, simplistic, low-grade, pre-GCSE psychoanalysis, psychology. Not saying they weren't, they weren't freer to vote. Of course they were freer to vote in Israel. But how free are people in Israel right now to be in opposition to the government? Not at all. We can pick and choose our democracies. We can pick and choose. No one democracy on this planet is truly democratic or perfect. They are all various gradations of an idea. I would argue that ours is one of the least democratic because what we now have is a Labour Party that can't define its own policies or identity. So it goes chasing after, snuffling away after those people who were a bit dissatisfied with the Conservatives hoping to get the Conservative crumbs. I think it's an interesting word you use, though, there, Francesco. I get what you're saying. You know, a freer in Israel to... Yeah, absolutely freer in Israel to vote for what they want to vote for. I mean, you know, you have a... How are all... Well, I mean, so many children have died, though. I mean, how, you know... We've got an entire generation of various ages coming through this this crisis who are going to essentially go, where's mum? Where's dad? Where's brother? Where's... They were old. They were killed in the, what are we going to call this? The two-month war? The three-month war? They, what? And they're going to go, oh, okay. Oh, all right. That's fine. Yeah. We'll just live, you know, peace. It... It staggers me how the psychology on this is so simple. That, 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 that's what leads me to believe there must be such ulterior motives here. No, 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 I get what you meant, Francesca Bastos. Absolutely, what I meant with Israel being free to vote in Palestine is that I blame Israel. No, 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 I mean, this isn't about blame, I agree. It's, it's, it's a fallacy to suggest that the choices the Palestinians have made in their governance or self-defense, because let's not forget, it's an occupied territory. It's a fallacy to suggest that the decisions they've made about their leadership have been made in the idyll of sitting in a, in a garden square, casting a vote. It's, it's just madness.
this madness. So what am I trying to say about Keir Starmer? I'm profoundly disappointed by him. I'm profoundly disappointed by him. He is going to be the next prime minister of this country because Rishi Sunak has just guaranteed that by his yet further philanderings around the Rwanda deal. I mean, what, what an absolute load of nonsense. I just, I just am staggered. I'm staggered, disappointed and offended, actually, by Starmer being unable to even step towards the word ceasefire after two months. I mean, it's getting to the point now, with each day that goes by, I look at my watch and almost go, come on, it would be far too late and it wouldn't change my opinion on you, but surely there's got to come a point where it, you can start, it can start to kick in, no? I think it's outrageous. And so I, what I'm trying to say is, there was a definite threat on the concourse there. I could see how that would be very nerve-wracking for Starmer. But I wonder whether he walks away from something like that thinking, wow, why are these people feeling this strongly? What am I not doing right in, the, in relationship to them? Or does he just go away thinking that was irresponsible, outrageous, and we need to do more to kind of protect me? Rather than thinking, it's that thing in an argument. You know when you have an argument with someone or you tell someone, as a parent, you sort of say, maybe ask yourself why I'm cross. I don't want to be cross, but maybe ask yourself why I'm cross. Okay, let's move on to lighter things. Well, lighter things. Before we move on to really light things, let's talk about Benjamin Zephaniah. Benjamin Zephaniah, um, oh, Hansworth, he was born in Hansworth. I was born in Hansworth, bizarrely. Um, Benjamin Zephaniah, um, what a character, what a guy. Uh, tragically died. Uh, yesterday or the day before, uh, eight weeks ago, diagnosed with a brain tumour. Um, and so that was a, a fast descent. Um, one of those sort of emblematic sort of, what, what do you call them? Sort of icons, um, national treasure. And what I, what I love about him was he didn't seek to become one and he, and he didn't seek to be comfortable like one. I think he, he turned down an OBE on principle. He was a poet. He was a writer. You may have seen him. He often popped up on television, certainly in the 80s and 90s. He would pop up sort of reading poetry on things like Wogan, I think, and things like that. Um, you know, he would appear in shows. He's often in cultural shows and what have you. Um, but he was also, obviously, more recently, he was uh, he played, a, had a, a role in Peaky Blinders. Um, but I just, uh, I was talking to someone who knew him, who knew him uh, a friend of a friend who knew who knew him, and, and and they were just talking about how important he was for black people in in the UK. In that he uh, he talked a lot in his work and and and, and a lot in, in in a lot of his kind of uh, poetry about the importance to be who you are and and not being ruined or wrecked by fame or success. Um, and he talked a lot about how it was easy to get sort of lured into, you know, the trimmings of success um, and fame and notoriety. Uh, as a black person, he, he felt it was really important to keep, to stay rooted, to stay in, 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 in direct connection with where you came from. Here's some, his poem, Bought and Sold, is quoted here in one of the obituaries. Smart big awards and prize money is killing off black poetry. It's not censors or dictators that are cutting up our art. The lure of meeting royalty and touching high society is damping creativity and eating at our, our heart. His point there being, you can, you know, it's, it's easy for successful people of colour to get sucked into the system in a sense 
and become part of the very system that is essentially kind of, you know, struggles with diversity. I mean, his point in his rejection of his OBE was he sees the royal family as a manifestation of imperialness. And he, he said it would be, a, I don't even think he felt particularly angry about it. Um, but he he said it would be hugely, you know, it would be, I'd be hypocritical to accept an OBE. Um, so I just think he provided, I mean, I had, even I had a sense, because hearing his voice, you know, it's that sort of Birmingham Brummy voice, hearing that voice, um, you know, it must have been, and I'm, and I, you know, speaking to a couple of people, you, you sense that he was an incredibly inspirational and important person. It's that thing, isn't it? That thing of thinking, wow, I can see someone of my culture in that position also championing, you know, lyricism and words usage and poetry and writing rather than simply, you know, the kind of socially afforded stereotypical bit that predominantly white culture allows allows for. Um, oh, let me just sort out Toffs. Come on, Toffy. Oh, sorry, I, I thought she was trying to get out, so I'm so tired. Oh, sorry, I thought Toffee's Toffy, in there. Um, oh, yeah. Anyway. There we go. Remembering, remembering Benjamin Zephaniah, bless him, uh, and his family. Now, here's a clip. This is, in Venice, before we get to the Friday quiz, tourists who refused to stop taking selfies on a gondola in Venice. Well, let's see what happens, shall we? Quite funny. No one was hurt. No one was hurt. I'm just going to pop it up once more uh, whilst I just go to the door.
Isn't there excrement in the canal? My God. <laughs> There's a thought. It is dangerous, isn't it, to fall into the waters of, of, of Venice. And another, well, I say this, this isn't funny, but this, is, this was a clip that came out of, uh, who likes Chevy Chase? <laughs> Chevy Chase, he was, he was rolled on. I don't think he was rolled on in a wheelchair because he needed the wheelchair. I think it was too much um, then this is what happened with, uh, he was at a national lampoon kind of vacation And then he sat for the rest of the event with an ice pack on his knee. Seems to be the thing at the moment. Poor old Stephen Fry fell off a stage, didn't he? Um, but yeah, um, I always liked Chevy Chase. There was something about him I really liked when I was younger. And then I heard he was a bit, he was a bit difficult to work with. And it was sort of like, oh, what a shame. Um, I did see the Pfizer stories. Yeah, apparently encouraging a uh, strange uh, sort of contrary response in some people who'd had them. There's all sorts coming out about the, uh, about the uh, vaccinations, which I'm sure we will touch upon. At a later date. And as I said, we were going to mention Game Awards to 2023. Baldur's Gate 3 wins Game of the Year. Does that mean anything to anyone? Baldur's Gate. Oh, does anyone here play games? Is anyone here a gamer or know a gamer? Or does anyone have any particular computer games? Or vid- call them computer games, video games. They're not really... Vi- Why do they call them video games? They're not videos. Cartridge games. What are they? PC games. What are they? Console games. There you go. Console games. Um, uh, Omar Jones Zadran absolutely did see the article about the 350 men script. Absolutely di- diabolical. To be fair, actually, I was quite you know relieved to see that even Sky News was running it last night, um, saying that they're having to look into it. Um, the nature of the footage. VR games. I watch a few gamers. I love being games. Bev Berry. My kids will know Sarah with them. I love Mario Kart. Yeah, you see, I'm I'm the Atari generation. I played that game E.T., which we then discovered in later years had a bug and you could never get fucking E.T. onto the ship. So how many children of my generation sat in their room with an Atari joystick that was very blunt trying to get him on a ship and he could never freaking take off? That was frustrating. Okay, let's bring it on to let's do the let's do the quiz Friday quiz, guys. Um, so uh, for those of you who know, you can get your pens and pencils out or not, or just your mobile phone or whatever. And, um, I'm gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go through quiz of the week. Faith, if you're here, uh, get going. How old are you, Mark? 53. Good God. 53. Sega brings back memories of my children. Sega. There you go. Okay. So quiz of the week. Oh, interestingly, the first question is about a game. Um, so here we go. Yes, he did, Laurel Nichols. He did get bad, bad backlash. Absolutely. Chevy. Okay, so question one, guys. Um, the world of gaming could barely contain its excitement as the first trailer for Grand Theft Auto 6 was revealed. Can anyone explain to me how this game it clearly has been made in a sort of, not the, and you know, the freedom of expression means you can make these, but it's astonishing that it's, it's sort of trapped in a moral kind of vault, isn't it? Isn't this the game in which I seem to remember years ago watching someone play it and you can just run over people? You can just run over sort of 
pedestrians. Weird. Um, anyway, so the trailer landed. The latest installment of the Blockbuster series will feature a female protagonist for the first time since the 1990s. What is her name? Is it A, Gemini, B, Lucia, or C, Mickey? What's the name of the new lead female character in Grand... Uh, I always want to call it Grand Auto Theft. Grand Theft Auto 6. A, Gemini, B, Lucia, or C, Mickey? Hey, Mickey, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Mickey. <clears throat> hey, Mickey. Uh, this was, of course, the trailer for this was leaked, wasn't it, ahead of time. And then suddenly the producers of the game had to get their scramble like mad and get their version out quite quickly. I haven't head off to South Bank. Good, have a good time down there, Catherine Cronin. It's going to be busy. Uh, Georgina Demetrio says, B, it is Lucia or Lucia. You're right. Question two. Robert Jenrick resigned as immigration minister as the Tory party spirals into a death spiral unknown and unseen before in British politics. Uh, Robert Jenrick, immigration minister, resigned saying the government's legislation to send illegal immigrants to Rwanda didn't go far enough. Which of these sentences did he not write in his letter to the prime minister? So two of these he did, one of them he didn't. Which one didn't he? A, a bill of the kind you're proposing as a triumph of hope over experience. B, I refuse to be another politician who makes promises on immigration but does not keep them. Or C, the Conservative Party faces electoral, electoral oblivion in a matter of months if we introduce yet another bill destined to fail. Which of those did he not say? Um, he didn't say one of those. Which one? And the correct answer is... C. Raspberry Mahita girl, you're right. Uh, question three. Top models, designers, celebrity guests and Hollywood stars braved the London weather to attend the annual British Fashion Awards at the Royal Albert Hall. Did you know that? Who won this year's Outstanding Achievement Award? Was it A, designer Charlotte Tilbury, B, Vogue editor Edward Enenful, or C, designer Valentino Garavani? Wow. Was it A, designer Charlotte Tilbury, B, Vogue editor Edward Enenful, or C, designer Valentino Garavani? Which of those won uh, this year's Outstanding Achievement Award? Good God, I, I don't know any. Well, I know Charlotte Tilbury. That's about it. Um, Carl Hatcham says A, Barry says C. It is, in fact, oh, Julie, you're changing your mind a lot there. Tess says A, Ellen Gray is C, designer Valentina Garavini. Question four, a medieval tower in the Italian city of Bologna that leans by as much as its famous counterpart in Pisa was sealed off because it might collapse. But what is the tower's name? Is it Asinelli, A, Galusi, B, or Garisenda? C, sorry for my pronunciation, Italians here. Is it A, Asinelli, B, Galuzzi, or C, Garisenda? Which of those is the name of the tower in Bologna that looks like it's going to fall over? I didn't realise there are 20 towers in Bologna. Wow. And moving on. Oh, C, it was C, sorry. <laughs> Question five. The Trafalgar Square Christmas tree, a traditional centrepiece of London's festive celebrations, was unveiled. The tree is an annual gift from Norway um, for supporting the country through World War II. But in which year did the tradition of Norway sending us a really crap looking tree start? Was it A, 1945, B, 1947 or C, 1951? A little bit of logic here might prevail and get the right answer. 
When did the when did the tradition of a shit Norwegian tree being sent to Trafalgar Square start? Was it A, 1945, B, 1947, or C, 1951? Faith Goodman, banging in on the uh, correct answer there. It's B, 1947. Question six. Tributes were paid to Sandra Day O'Connor, the first woman to sit on the U.S. Supreme Court, who died aged 93. By which president was she appointed? Was it A, Jimmy Carter, B, Gerald Ford, or C, Ronald Reagan? I guessed, and I guessed wrong. It certainly wasn't Donald Trump. He wasn't anywhere to be known or seen. He was just a little sparkle in his father's eye. Um, the answer there is Ronald Reagan. Question seven, final question. A learner driver failed their theory test 59 times before passing. It was revealed. According to Department for Transport figures, what percentage of people sitting the theory test passed last year? So according to the Department for Transport, what percentage of people sitting the theory test passed last year? Was it A, 44%, B, 65%, or C, 78%? Wow, I guessed incorrect. What say you, team? It is a 44%. Good God, that's slightly concerning, isn't it? So there you go, guys. Anyone get six or seven? Did anyone get eight? Anyone get eight? 78, Faith. Good God. You must have been playing all day. Um, Elizabeth Gordon, Carla Hatcham, eight. Yeah, yeah, A, you were correct. Carla Hatcham, well done. Okay, guys. Vlogmas will be landing later today. Curly Cooks in the morning, Coffee Moaning Papers, live No Name Sunday show, potentially another surprise, Members Live and some cards to win. Um, hope you have a lovely Friday, guys. Stay safe. And um, I'm now going to sit here and through the medium of hand-waving, 